0: I like to think about if you're a creative professional that either that means you're working to a professional standard whether or not you earn your living from it you may earn your living from it as well or you may earn it from a combination of different activities so I think one of the great things about the 21st century is we have a lot more choices available welcome to the become a writer today podcast with brian collins Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of
1: writers. What does it mean to be a creative professional today? Hi there, my name is Brian Collins and welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast. That's a question I've been wondering about for quite a while. For years, I was a copywriter for the British software company Sage, so I had a pretty clear plan for what my day would look like. You know, I would get up at half five or six and I would write for an hour or an hour and a half or do something creative before work. And then it will be time to you know, get the kids off to school or to the childminder. And then I typically start my day as a copywriter in Sage. Now a typical working day involves spending a good chunk of the day writing copy. That's writing words that sell for products and services. I also spent a good chunk of the day on conference calls over Microsoft Teams where I'd present copy to stakeholders and they would provide feedback on the copy and then they would say what they needed changed and if it you know, accurately conveyed the messaging for the product in question. Then I'd normally go away and take that copy, rework it, and then have another call a few days later where it would either get signed off and published on the site or I'd have to go back and rethink the whole thing again. So in other words, I was doing something in the morning, which was, you know, writing short stories and later nonfiction articles. And then I was doing something during the day, which was paying the bills, which was copywriting. Now, when I left Sage and when I started working on Becoming a Writer Today full time, one of the first things I noticed is my day was immediately opened up. I could write in the morning for a couple of hours for more than an hour and a half if I wanted, but I didn't have anything in the afternoon like long phone calls or conference calls. But I usually found after two or three hours of writing that I was pretty tapped out for the day. So I started thinking about other things I could do to, you know, grow, become a writer today and some of the other sites that I'm running, take them to the next level. And I also considered this podcast. So I started increasing the amount of podcast interviews I was recording each week and publishing each month. The other thing I found with all this extra time was I was able to ask myself questions like what creative project do I want to work on next? Because when I only had 10 or 15 hours a week, I you know I was quite limited with what I could do. I could work on a single book or a single project for the site. But now I could plan out multiple books that I could potentially write over the next year or two, plan out courses and other creative projects that I'd like to do for the site. I'm still working on finding out an answer to what it means to be a creative professional, at least for me. But I recently had the chance to catch up with Mark McGuinness, who's an award-winning poet author and creative coach. And he also hosts his own podcast, The 21st Century Creative. One of my takeaways from this week's interview is the benefits of copywriting for all types of writers. And Mark McGuinness explains how he worked with Brian Clark of Copyblogger and how lessons he learned about copywriting has stayed with him ever since when he's considering what to do on Lateral Action, his site. We also talk a little bit about how the pandemic has impacted on creatives. Mark describes how he set up what he calls an introvert's paradise and that's certainly something I've done and he talks about some of the steps that he's taking to break out of this introvert's paradise once the lockdown ends which hopefully by the time you listen to this interview it will be over and forever behind us. One of my other key takeaways from this interview is the importance of looking in your Closet or on your computer for that messy creative project that you've been putting off for quite a while because you've had no time to work on it or you didn't feel like it's going to go anywhere. Because Mark basically says that this messy creative project could be the one that pays dividends for you over the long term. And it could actually turn out to be the creative project which you're most excited about, but perhaps you're simply procrastinating. So that's certainly a question I'm going to ask myself. What messy, creative project am I procrastinating about and what one should I work on next? Now, if you find this interview helpful, please leave a short review on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast or Spotify or share the show. And also for a couple of dollars a month or for the price of a cup of coffee, depending on what country you're in, you can become a Patreon supporter and I'll give you discounts on my writing courses, software and books. If you've got questions about the show or feedback, or you simply want to let me know what you're up to, please reach out on Twitter. It's at Brian, B R Y A N J Collins. Now let's go over to this week's interview with Mark McGinnis. Mark, there's a few people I've been following online for quite a while, uh, Joanna Penn and and you. So I've been fascinated by some of your books and your approach to creativity. But before we get into that, could you give listeners a flavour for who you are? Sure. I am a poet who earns
0: my living as a coach for creative professionals. So I work with People across the whole spectrum of the arts, the creative industries, media, performers, and so on. And in relation to the coaching, I also have a podcast, Twenty First Century Creative, and um, four books I've written for creatives on different aspects of the creative life. So the kind of the poetry and the coaching and the writing about creativity are in a kind of an ongoing dialogue. I find. Working with other people is a really good way of reflecting on my own practice. Um, And obviously, being a poet informs the kind of people that I like to work with. Uh, I like to work with people who are on the same kind of creative wavelength, even if they're working in a very different media.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things that came across in your work. You work with people who, not just writers, but they could be involved in other creative pursuits. I, I think I saw one of your tweets was about why people should take a class in pottery to give them a different medium to oh, express themselves.
0: yes. I did a lovely interview with a guy called Nick Hand here in Bristol who runs a, a letterpress printing uh, collective. I think he calls it the Letterpress Collective. But basically, he's got a whole workshop full of Victorian printing presses, and you can go and learn to do this. Um, when the pandemic's over, I'm going to be going down and, and taking a, a class on how to print a poem using an old letterpress thing. And Nick is really, he's a real enthusiast for traditional crafts, particularly as an antidote to all the digital distractions and, you know, brain fuzz that we have these days. So um, I think that tweet was a quote from Nick saying, you know, get your hands dirty, roll your sleeves up, get them covered in ink or or clay
1: or whatever it is. And it's a really wonderful grounding thing to do. Do you spend much time working with your hands or writing poetry with pen and paper? Or how do you find a balance between traditional tools versus digital? Well, you know, for
0: poets, the traditional tool is the, is the memory, really. You know, it's yeah. the wandering bard, as I know you have in Ireland, would be, you know, wandering around. It wouldn't necessarily be literate in the modern sense in terms of being able to write. You know, poetry as an oral art goes back a long way before writing. So I quite often I will think of a poem, or at least I get the start of a poem in my head, and even if I don't have a notepad or or anything to write it down, that's okay because if it's any good, I should
1: be able to remember it, right? Long enough to get home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, suppose I would always say to people, you need to write it down, so you must have a good memory.
0: <laughs> well, you know, poetry's is supposed, to, like Auden said, poetry is memorable yeah. speech, so it's it's almost like a Darwinian filter. But I mean, when I'm actually working on a piece. Quite often I will capture it with a... I'm using a voice-to-speech thing on my phone at the minute called otter.ai, which is really great. I can capture a, a voice note and it will transcribe it and upload it and use it later. But I do like, going back to your original question, I do like a bit of, you know, scratching pen on paper action when I'm writing a poem. So if I'm at home and I've got materials to hand, I'll quite often write rather than type a first draft. And I guess when I'm actually writing a poem, one thing I like to do is is write it until the draft gets too messy, then type it up and play with it on the screen until I can't really see it anymore. And then I print it off yep. and then I start writing on that draft. There's something about having a fresh copy for each iteration that, that kind of helps me. So a lot of it goes between handwriting and digital and printed copy
1: yeah different formats yeah i use yep. dragon for ios it's quite oh, yeah close yeah that's for, great uh, yeah for speech recognition on the phone mm-hmm. so when you finish your poetry what's usually your next step what with the
0: poem yeah at the moment it's sending it off to magazines and competitions because that's how the poetry world works and then waiting several months for either a rejection or an acceptance and then rinse and repeat so There's not a lot of my poetry out in the public domain, because obviously if it goes in a magazine, they have first print rights and whatever. So it's a little antiquated, but that's the way the poetry world works at the minute. But I do have a collection that should hopefully be published within the next couple of years.
1: Is there a case for self-publishing poetry?
0: Well, there could be, but then you would miss out on the core audience for poetry because it is so conservative. So a lot of the hardcore poetry readers like me generally wouldn't, we follow publishers and we know who's published by whom. And there's also, there's a whole community and conversation that you're part of with poetry. And, you know, it looks like a solitary art, but it isn't really because poets are always discussing and arguing and referring to each other, even over like hundreds of years or thousands of years, even if you reach back to Homer, And so, for better or worse, at the minute, that whole conversation and community is still tied up with traditional publishing. It may change in a few years, but right now, I think, if you want to be part of that, you go the traditional route.
1: I interviewed a poet recently. He described how he writes poetry and then performs at spoken word events in the U.S. Mm Mm-hmm. He said that was quite helpful for his craft.
0: There is, yeah, well, there's there's certainly, I've done a bit of spoken word years ago. It's certainly a high-octane atmosphere to be in yeah and there's nothing like a live reading i I really do enjoy that
1: so to go to the other side of creative work what does a creative career look like today huh
0: well i guess you know as long as you are pursuing i mean my definition is you don't necessarily have to be earning your living from it because we poets generally don't i think i'm not so sure about the word career i don't know it, it it doesn't quite sit with me but I like to think about if you're a creative professional, that, either, that means you're working to a professional standard, whether or not you earn your living from it. You may earn your living from it as well, or you may earn it from a combination of different activities. So I think one of the great things about the 21st century is we have a lot more choices available i mean in the old days you were either you got signed as a rock star or a you know novelist with a big advance or whatever it was or you kept the day job and you did it in the evenings whereas these days there's a whole series of different gradations and options you can have you know i think a lot of people these days have a what would be called a portfolio career where you might do something that is more commercially oriented I don't know, editing or design or copywriting or coaching or consulting, and then something that's more artistic. So yeah. I think the one thing I would say is don't hold back on doing the thing that you really want to do because you only have one life. Don't put it on hold because you're not, you're not as far as we know, unless the Buddhists are right, we're not going to get another one. Yeah, so maybe, I think you might not like get
1: another chance. Yeah. Uh, so
0: for me, it's really about, I guess the way I frame the question to myself and my clients is, What's the work you really want to do? And what kind of career structure can you create to support that? And for some people, it's just having a day job, but they're quite happy with that. Other people, like me, have to feel that they're somehow plugged in to creative work, you know, in all aspects of their career. And there it's more like having a little, little ecosystem of projects and roles that mm. somehow, you know, the, the money the inspiration, the connection with human beings and the,
1: the following your own heart and being
0: authentic to yourself. All of those bases are covered.
1: Yeah, I worked as a copywriter for the British software company Sage for a good few years. Well, mm-hmm. it gave me an opportunity to try different types of writing on the side, So I found that quite helpful.
0: Copywriting, I think, is a really good discipline. So I had a mentor about 10 years ago, a guy called Brian Clark, who founded a site called copyblogger.com. And so he was a real... Expert on copywriting in the online space and marketing. And I learned an awful lot from him about really clear communication, about putting yourself in your reader's mind and mindset, and, you know, answering the age old question well, what's in it for the other person to listen to me and what I have to say? Now, that's not to say I would write poems based on copywriting principles, but it's certainly. certainly i think it's a really important discipline and particularly if you're writing and promoting yourself in any shape or form online
1: then don't be shy you know check it out let's see what you can learn from it yeah i definitely think it's an underrated skill set and it can help you if you have a blog or any type of website where you're producing content so you've mentioned some of the different projects that you work on how do you decide what to work on next That's a good question. Three times a year, I make a large pot
0: of coffee and sit down and and think, what am I going to work on next? And it's always at the project level, as you've identified. I think, well, given where I'm at, where the business is at, where my creative process is at and what I've been doing recently, what would it make sense for me to do next? And sometimes it's something that is very obviously going to relate to the business and move that forward. Other times I feel like, well, you know what, I've, I've done a bit of time on the business stuff. I'm going to indulge my artistic side a bit more. And I think over the course of the year, uh, so what I typically do is say, I've recently done this from Easter to the summer holidays, uh, I think in terms of terms, because our children are at school. Uh, what do yeah. I want to achieve in the next three or four months? And then I do a review in the summer and then I'll do the same September to Christmas and then Christmas to Easter and that kind of divides the year up into into manageable chunks but also you know it's short enough for me to think okay well what do I want to achieve by say Easter and I better get my skates on if I'm going to do that so, so it can be a combination like seasons yeah yeah absolutely I work with some people who do it by seasons you know spring summer autumn winter it's a really nice way of, you know, going up to 10,000 feet, so to speak. Because it's easy to do that. We all like to do that at New Year, don't we? And we'll say, let's look at the next 12 months, what I want to achieve. And you get to September and you think, gosh, where is that bit of paper? Because it's, it's a little bit too hard. I mean, particularly the last 12 months, it's a little bit too hard to anticipate what's yep. going to happen. But I find doing it in three or four months at a time, there's a much stronger sense of accountability.
1: I have a working theory that, It's a good idea for somebody to work a little bit on their craft or something creative every day and also do something every day that advances their business forward. But I guess, you know, you can take on a lot of projects that way. So do you have many projects on the go at any one time? I have, well, I have my clients.
0: I agree with you, actually. I mean, the way I do it is I do my own projects in the morning and I do clients in the afternoon. But in terms of projects, I will generally have one main project at a time. And I work on that until I get it to a certain point. And this is where I sometimes have to make hard decisions, you know, at Christmas or Easter or or whenever, because there may be two or three vying for my attention. But I know from experience that it's, you know, it's easy to get a bottleneck like that. So generally there's one project on the front burner with a few others kind of ticking over in the background.
1: So when it comes to working on something like a business, typically people will keep track of things like, Uh, podcast downloads or email subscribers or coaching clients Um, Mm -hmm. when you're working on a creative project are there any things that you keep track of or do you just like to to keep it loose and see where it takes you um if you're talking about
0: what like a really artistic project like a poetry one
1: yes exactly yeah
0: i think there there would be two markers really and they're both completely different and i track them for different reasons one is my own sense of whether i've i've managed to capture what i wanted in the poem that's always the most important thing do i feel excited each time i read it because if it's not fresh to me it won't be fresh to a reader so that's the main one and then the secondary one is where am i going to send this which magazine might take it which competition might it um have a chance of placing somewhere um and also i guess now because i'm got the collection is well where does it fit in the collection or does it fit
1: in the collection does it need to go somewhere else makes sense makes sense uh when you're working on a creative project and it comes to a natural end like you've submitted it to the publisher do you take a break yeah you well i usually work on something else and i I like the fact that i've
0: got different types of projects so for instance i have my main coaching podcast 21st century creative I do that in seasons deliberately because I love immersing myself in it and I record 10 one hour episodes and that will kind of take over my life for a couple of months. And I really, each time I get started on it, I'm really excited. It's great to be a podcaster again (laughs) and to meet new people and to, you know, remember what it's like to, you know, be playing with all the equipment. But by the end of the two months, I'm like, okay, I'm really glad I'm not doing that for a bit and I want to do something fresh and different then so i do i do like having that variety of stuff that that keeps everything fresh
1: yeah i've just gone through uh, a few weeks where i've recorded a good few podcast interviews for the next few months Mm -hmm. and i found it's a lot easier now to get into i suppose a state of flow with the podcasts because i've been doing it nearly every day whereas for the first one or two it felt like i had to Summon up a massive amount of will yeah. to get started. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like anything, isn't it? Once you get in the zone,
0: it's easy to keep doing it. I mean, I think David Allen says in getting things done, he says, if you've got a load of difficult phone calls to make this week, he says, do them all one after the other, because then you're in difficult phone call making zone. He says, otherwise, you've got to work yourself up to it about six times, and you, you end up procrastinating a lot. Yeah, you gain f- forward momentum. Yeah.
1: Where do you stand on creative people having a back catalogue so because the reason why i ask is i was i was writing a chapter for a book and i came across an interesting fact that uh picasso had thirteen thousand five hundred paintings during his career but most people don't know a lot of them because there's so many Mm -hmm. and that's why he's so successful because he gave himself more chances to to take a swing at the bat is that something you've noticed with your clients that those who publish more or have more work have more success certainly those who do more they don't
0: necessarily publish it all when i did my master's i read a really interesting book, I think the guy called Robert Weisberg, and I can't remember the title of the book, but basically he'd done an assessment of the ratio of masterpieces to kind of average work in the works of the great composers, like Mozart, Beethoven, Bach, and whoever. And apparently it's reasonably, beyond a certain level of competence, it's reasonably consistent that even Mozart, it wasn't all masterpieces. Even Beethoven or Bach, it wasn't. And a lot of these, like Bach, for instance, he's produced much higher than usual number of masterpieces, but apparently just make loads and loads and loads of music because he was employed by a church. And in in the good old days, they didn't like old music. They all wanted new music every week. So he had to come up with a new piece of work every week for the church. I mean, imagine going to that local church. There's J.S. Bach that's got new... (laughs) premiere every single week I bet I bet the priest was you know had a full house and apparently that just that productivity led to the you know him producing an awful lot of really distinguished work so I I certainly think there's something in it you know and it's hard to do it with lyric poetry because unless you get an idea there's not really an awful lot you can do but one solution I found to that is to do a long translation so I'm working on Chaucer's long poem, Troilus and Cressida, translating it from medieval English into modern English, but keeping the same verse form. And I've done over a thousand lines of this, and it's quite an intricate rhyming scheme and iambic pentameter. And apart from the fun of, of doing it and spending that time with Chaucer, it's definitely made me better at rhyme and meter and rhythm and syntax and all the kind of technical skills you need. So that when I write my own stuff, it it seems to flow much more easily. Does that project take long? It sounds like something that would last weeks or it's, months. It's it's an ongoing project. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've done book one. He he wrote five books, and I've done the first book. So okay. you know, it's, right. it's not going to be out this summer. I can
1: I can assure you. Wow, uh, that's a big project. And then the other side of it, which is if you publish something and you you know you get a negative review or you get some criticism from somebody, wh- how what advice do you give to clients to get over that? You know, a lot of people say don't
0: take it personally, and those people are generally not writers or artists themselves, because if you really care about your work and you put your heart and soul into it, then at some point, to a degree, it's inevitable that it will hurt and that we will take it personally. I think it was Gustave Flaubert who said, we serve up a portion of our guts and the bourgeoisie get out their knives and forks so there was a man who had suffered a few bad reviews. But I think part of the, the job of being a professional is that you, you kind of dissociate from that or you, you don't get too attached to that. You, you accept it's going to hurt, but then you, you've got to get out there and do some more. And, and it's also, I think it's really super important to ask yourself, well, who is making the judgment here? And what are their criteria? And honestly, what is their qualification? If it's some random person on the internet, I'm generally not going to get too worried if it's, for instance, a poet whose work and opinion I really respect, and they say, "Well, you know, mark, I think this isn't this isn't all there yet. There are some things you need to think about, then I will generally take that criticism on board a lot more. So one thing I would say is find really good sources of feedback if you if you can find someone who really understands and cares about your work and gets what you're trying to do and can give it the feedback in a way that isn't completely soul-crushing then hold that person very
1: close in your life good advice good advice the other problem creative people have is getting somebody to pay attention to their work in the first place Mm -hmm. There's just so much noise out there and so many more forms of media that people can consume everywhere. So do you have any advice for people who are having trouble getting others to pay attention to the work?
0: Well, I would say, uh, okay, so I I can give some secondhand advice from Naomi Dunford who came on my show and I asked her about this, but it, it kind of confirmed what I was hoping she would say, which is there's an awful lot of low hanging fruit have been now been taken on the internet or in the media generally. Everybody's out there creating content of some kind. And so if you're going to try and play it safe and do something that is a bit, you know, you, you that you think has the potential to reach a broad audience, that's probably a risky thing to do. It Weirdly, it's much safer to, to follow your own idiosyncratic inclination and do the thing that only you could do. And You've still got to do it to a really high level, but chances are, if you're genuinely creative, there's going to be something that you can do, and only you can do it in your way, and it may take a bit of creativity and persistence and feedback to figure out what that is, but you're in the long term, you're much better pursuing that than pursuing the thing that you think lots of people would want to buy. Because somebody's already doing that. Somebody's figured that out, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So you have to find a way to differentiate yourself. Yeah, but but not in a kind of an outs... I like to think you've got to do it from the inside out. Just think of... And and often I'll ask clients, okay, but tell me about the the weird project that the back of your cupboard or the bottom of your, you know, your your computer's hard drive that you've neglected because it doesn't seem you know, you could, you can't imagine where it would go. And very often that is the thing that has got the most chance to get them some kind of attention, even if it's not necessarily obvious what the commercial potential for that would be.
1: So the clients that you're working with at the moment, are they mostly poets and writers or are you working with other types of clients as well? I don't work with many poets, funnily enough. Otherwise, I think we
0: would end up talking shop because I have a few writers, screenwriters, and film make you know for film and tv as well as novelists but i'm really very lucky you know the whole gamut from people who are very commercially and entrepreneurially driven in in terms of their creative endeavors to people who are doing fine art stuff other people who are performers on stage yeah. or in the media you know tv presenters that actors that kind of thing so and the thing i i love is that i get such a wide range of different people to talk to every week. And also it forces me to concentrate on the fundamentals, the human factors, the motivation, the mindset, the resilience that it takes to succeed, the communication skills that you need, the ability to tell a great story about yourself and to sometimes to engage in crucial conversations in a in a constructive way when there's a lot at stake. And then the kind of fundamentals around the creative process as well, which are often very you know, common
1: across lots of different disciplines. Would you be able to describe some of those fundamentals? I feel like I know what it would be for writing, but I'm curious about what it is for other types of creative professions.
0: Well, I think one thing to recognize is everyone has their own kind of creative rhythm. You know, like we were talking just now about you saying you really like to get in the podcast zone and, and do that very intensively for a while and then step away from it, which is similar to the way I approach podcasting. Other people would much rather do a little bit every day and a little bit every day and a little bit every day. Um, yeah, some people will write a book every five years. The other one will write five books a year. So I think you've got to find a rhythm that, you know, the way I say to clients is, well, let's figure out what your ideal creative process is. And then we'll, we'll see what we can do to arrange your schedule so that the schedule is arranged around your creativity rather than the other way around.
1: Okay. Okay. I was reading that it's impossible to, well, it's really hard to work on something creative in a deep way for more than three or four hours a day. Is that something your clients have found as well?
0: So you've probably seen the, the great book by Mason Curry where he called Daily Rituals, where he compiles accounts of great writers and artists and thinkers about what what they actually did all day. And it's really encouraging if you read that, people like Charles Darwin or Virginia Woolf or Jean-Paul Sartre or or whoever, most of them didn't really spend, even if they were full-time writers or full-time creators, they wouldn't spend more than typically three or four hours a day on their creative work. You know, the rest of it was going for walks and drinking cocktails and answering letters and so on. Uh, so that's quite encouraging. So I, I like to think if I get a good three hours done in the morning, that's, yeah. my, that's me done as a writer for the day. And then I do a couple of coaching clients in the afternoon, so that's about four hours. Well, that's me done as a coach for the day. And even on the days when I don't have any coaching clients, I'm not going to get twice as much writing done because I don't have the yeah. same kind of energy in the afternoon. So, yeah, that definitely rings true. Um, and it I mean, it also means we get chance to, to have live the rest of our lives. And it takes one little block away, because even if you're working nine to five, you could get three hours done in the evening, or at least a couple, and you get most... Or before work. Or before work, yes, that's been done too. And you could, you know, you'd be up there with, the, you know, the flaneur who is spending the rest of his day just sitting in a cafe in Paris drinking absinthe, you know, so you could be... <laughs> <laughs> In terms of creative productivity. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I find that quite heartening.
1: Yeah. I've been reading a book by Creativity recently, and the author was saying that incubation of ideas is an important part of the process. So, you need mm-hmm. to give yourself time to reflect on something. So, set it aside and then come back to it the next day or the next week. Is that something you've found?
0: Yes, with one important qualification. So, I, I thought about this a lot. I thought, how can you tell the difference between incubation? and procrastination. Because it's easy to be sitting around saying, well, I'm not really doing anything today, but I'm incubating. This is really important, (laughs) my creative process. And I thought, well, how do we know the difference? Because there are times when working harder is actually the worst thing you can do. You need to step away. You need to go for a walk. You need to get on an airplane or, or, or whatever. And the conclusion I came to is procrastination happens before you do some hard work on a problem whether it's a creative piece of work or another kind of problem and incubation is what happens after you've done a really um intense bit of work because i noticed all the you know the accounts of i think Henri Poincare, the um the french mathematician was one of the famous ones he came up with this idea he said he would be working really hard on some kind of You know, root cause of quadratic equations or whatever it is that French 19th century mathematicians thought about. And he would work himself to a standstill and then he would go for a walk on the beach and suddenly the idea would come to him. And I looked at quite a few accounts of this and thought about my own experience and thought, that's generally true. You know, often, I mean, it's all very well as a poet, for instance, sitting around waiting for the muse to strike uh, with inspiration, which does happen. I'm pleased to say you know you can be walking along and a line comes into your mind and you think wow that's the start of a poem but I noticed that she tends to show up the muse that is after I've maybe been struggling away on my own you know kind of priming the engine so to speak so that's I would say if if you want some incubation it's great but so work hard on something and then take a break yeah but don't just sit around waiting for the inspiration to to come along before you've you've applied yourself to it And, you know, this is why I do think it's important to take evenings off, to take weekends off, to have proper holidays, um, because as creators, we can be our own worst enemy in that department. You know, we work and work and work. And as far as creativity is concerned, that's actually counterproductive.
1: Yeah, I have a sign on my wall. It's a translation of a French saying. It translates as a step back in order to leap forwards. So that's nice. Yeah, yeah. So I came across it in a book, so good advice a reminder for me to stop which is quite difficult over the past year with everything that happened with the pandemic and the lockdowns there's been a lot of stepping back hasn't there there has there has yeah uh, well even for switching off can be quite difficult when you're working at home and also living at home you can't go anywhere
0: yeah i, I guess so i mean i think i was lucky in that regard because i've been working at home online for years before the pandemic came along in fact, when I saw the lockdown regulations, I thought, oh, it's my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people
1: the, said that to me. Your life hasn't changed.
0: <laughs> and, you know, this might make you smile. My New Year's resolution for January 2020 was get out of the house more, because <laughs> I realized I'd created this perfect introvert's paradise at home, you know, sitting here doing writing and coaching on Zoom. And of course, the, the gods laughed uh, when they saw that as my resolution. So... um Um, So if you, but there's one thing I have learned, if you work from home in any way, shape or form, you need to have some hard edges in your day and on hard delineation between your work and the rest of your life. So my life changed the day I could afford to have an office, you know, not being working at the kitchen table or in the living room or or whatever.
1: Is is this a home office or outside the house? It's actually a home office,
0: which I prefer. Because yeah. it cuts down on commuting, but that door gets well and truly closed when I come out of it in the evening. Okay. And I do try and avoid going in the office in the evening uh, whenever possible, because it just, you know, as soon as I come over the threshold, I'm in work mode. Um, yeah. Same with things like email, gets switched off uh, about seven in the evening, switched off on my phone as well. Um, all my clients know if they need to reach me urgently, they've got my phone number, they can call me or text me. Uh, I say, if, if you're sending me an urgent request via email, then it's chances are it might not reach me. So they're all, that works really well. So I think having some kind of hard edges in your day, start times, stop times, digital mm-hmm. boundaries, don't be checking email or in in bed. At, I mean, I can, so I'm, I'm sure yeah. no one would ever do that listening to this, checking email in bed at night and then <laughs> sleep. It's just not, it's not going to happen. Um, yeah. and if you can have a separate workspace and even if you can't you know you you, you don't have a, a space big enough that you've got a separate room you can always make sure that you pack the work stuff away and drape a blanket over it or something so that at least the environment gets transformed
1: yeah now it's good advice and, and under normal circumstances what would you do like to to I suppose break out from the introvert's paradise that you described
0: under normal circumstances,
1: yeah,
0: I try to remember what those are like. I mean, I can, it's two to a year and a half ago now. <laughs>
1: you mean work wise or socially? Well, well either, either, just, just curious, like how somebody
0: I think what I was thinking about was I needed to get out of the house and do some more things where I was meeting people in the real world, you know, get find, I don't know, a local writing group where I could actually yeah. go along and see people. I like doing Tai Chi, I got a great group okay. uh, that I do that with you know and then seeing other people for fun and pleasure which is always a good thing to do um so yeah i definitely i think i will be you know when obviously the freedom is lifted i think i will be much more oriented towards doing things where i get to go and be in a room with people and do stuff together so
1: i should probably do the same but mark where can people find you or your podcast
0: Um, the podcast is the 21st century creative which is on itunes and all the usual places my coaching website is lateralaction.com you can find my books you can find an extensive blog about creativity you can find the podcast home there and obviously my coaching services and if you are interested in the poetry that is at mark mcguinness.com and that's mcguinness with two n's and two s's thank you mark thank you it's been fun
1: I hope you enjoyed this week's episode if you did please consider leaving a short review on the itunes store or sharing the show on spotify stitcher or wherever you're listening more reviews more ratings and more shares will help more people find to become a writer today podcast and did you know for just a couple of dollars a month you could become a patreon for the show visit patreon.com forward slash become a writer today or look for the support button in the show notes your support will help me record produce and publish more episodes each month and if you become a patreon i'll give you my writing books discounts on writing software and on my writing courses